Hey everyone, welcome back to the Kaderna Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Kaderna. So today we have a really interesting guest on the show, who is Ari Rostegar. Ari was recently called the Oracle of Austin by Forbes magazine and was appointed last month to the Power 100 list by Commercial Observer, which there's over 1 million applicants for that list. He's commonly cited in the Wall Street Journal and many other financial publications for his expertise in real estate and also as a source for what will be one of the upcoming topics in the second edition of my book, Millennial Millionaire, which is population dynamics, and in particular, the migration of people around the world and around the country. So who is Ari Rostegar? Ari is the founder and CEO of Rostegar Property Company, LLC, a technology-focused private equity real estate company based out of Austin, Texas. He's an entrepreneur, and he has portfolios as an investor, developer, and manager that span 38 cities and 13 states, encompassing over 5 million square feet of property. Ari leads Rostegar Property Company by building portfolios of multifamily properties and acquiring key land locations across the country. Today, we're going to talk about the migration to suburbia, some of the things that the pandemic has provoked, uh, how Texas is booming and taking a lot of the business and population from California, and the daily life of an entrepreneur that took a $3,000 loan and grew it into one of the fastest growing real estate empires in the country. He has an upcoming book called The Gift of Failure, which you'll definitely want to check out. So without further ado, Ari Rostegar. Is going to require work and time and sweat and toil. If money wasn't an issue, what would I be doing? Don't worry about it. You'll figure it out. Change is the only constant. The Kadona Podcast. Ari, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, definitely, man. I'm excited for this one because I feel like everybody loves talking about real estate. It's just one of those topics you can't get enough of. Yeah, you know, it's um, it's definitely a, a an ancient business. It's uh, been been around around as long as there has been uh, has been humanoids. They've been trying to govern territory or own territory <laughs> or at least market, whether with you know with, with a stick or you know with, with something. So it's uh, it's definitely it's lasted so the test of time. And what what do we do that's not real estate? Is what I tell people. It's like you drive on a road. You go to a hotel, you have an apartment, you go to a restaurant, uh, just about everything that you do involves some piece of real estate, which is kind of interesting to think about. It is. I mean, it's it's truly a finite commodity that, you know, God's not making any more planet Earth here for us and the population just continues to grow. So uh, it's kind of like a race to who can control more, I guess, whether it's just individuals, companies or even countries. Yeah. And, and not about, you know, and for us, you know, it's aside from the control is, you know, how do we, how do we make it livable and sustainable and, you know, peaceful, you know, more, more so than anything. And uh, because there's definitely, I, I read a statistic many years ago that, you know, the entire population of the world could fit in Texas if we had the same zoning as Manhattan. Meaning, you know, or Tokyo, or if you had skyscrapers and people lived within the proximity of New York City or, or Tokyo, if we changed the entire state of Texas, so meaning you would have the rest of the world with zero people. So, you know, there's definitely room for everybody. It's just a matter of, you know, navigating some of the 
I guess, uh, socio-political climates to make sure that um, that we seek um, equality and unity and utilize this real estate um, to um, to effectuate more harmony than disharmony. Yeah, that's that is really interesting because I never looked at it that way. And there's just there is a lot of, I guess, um, untapped land out there that people just maybe don't consider. No, they, it's just a matter of, yeah, absolutely. I mean, like I said, the, the entire population of the world could fit in Texas. <laughs> I mean, one, <laughs> one state. I mean, it is a big state, but one state. So what do you do with California, New York, the rest of the United States, Canada, all of Latin America, Asia, China? <laughs> well, like That means it would be completely empty of human beings. <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. So I'm pretty, sh- I'm pretty sure we don't have a population problem. We have, we might have a zoning <laughs> problem or a government problem. We don't, we don't have a, you know, a, a lack of, uh, of land. That's for sure. Huh. I like that standpoint. That's interesting. And does, I mean, I've only passed through Texas a few times for conferences or to see the Cowboys play. Are there skyscrapers like around Texas? Like what would the tallest building be, you know, in your state? Well, right now they're, they're building the tallest building in Dallas, a hundred stories um, in the uptown area, which is, you know, kind of the, you know, the, the center of Dallas 2.0, just outside of downtown. I mean, they're kind of, you know, connected by the nexus of, you know, I-35 um, and Clyde, Clyde Warren Park. We actually have a, you know, enormous uh, project that we're building right there in that general vicinity. But, you know, look, Houston and Dallas are both major metropolitan city. I mean, you're, I mean, you're talking, you know, 50, 60 story high rises um, all over. I mean, this is, you know, as cosmopolitan as it gets, certainly for Austin, for um, Houston and Dallas and Austin, where I live is now, is now moving, um, moving in that direction. You know, we certainly have buildings that are, you know, skyscrapers for lack of a better word, but, um, now we're starting to see plans and, uh, site plan submittals that are in the, you know, closer to the hundred story, um, you know, type, uh, type range. So it's, the city's definitely evolving dramatically. It's my hometown where I was born and raised and, um, obviously where our headquarters is and we're one of the largest, largest owners in the city. So we're definitely taking part in, um, you know, and kind of what the evolution of the city is going to be and, um, you know, making sure that we're, we're doing it the right way. That's awesome. And so you were born and raised in in Texas. I wanted to ask, you know, how did you kind of get started? Uh, just maybe in summary from where you began to now you have kind of this, this mini empire of sorts that's uh, growing very nicely. Yeah. Um, well, look, I mean, my, my dad was an Iranian immigrant. Um, my mother, um, my mother's family is German. Um, and you know, we lived in, um, we lived in Austin. My dad was studying at the university, um, at university of St. Edwards, um, in Austin before the Iranian revolution and, you know, kind of had to start from scratch and, um, look, I, you know, I've read headlines of people saying I came from rags to riches and, you know, these, you know, different salient uh, topics, but, you know, look, I was born in the United States of America. You know, I had, you know, two parents that valued reading and valued education and um, they divorced when I was really young. I lived with my mom, you know, till, you know, about fifth grade and I lived with my father through middle school and high school and, um, you know, went on to Texas A&M University before, um, going to two community colleges because 
let's just say I wasn't a very astute um, high school student, to, to say the least. Uh, but, you know, but I had a dream, you know, and I was very, very close to my grandfather um, and my grandmother. But my grandfather in Iran was a very prominent man. You know, he had you know, seven gold medals in the Iranian national um, you know, national track and field games, you know, along with being a psychiatrist, you know, obviously medical doctor, you know, taught at the American university in Tehran, spoke multiple languages. I mean, just an all around, you know, grandiose figure. And, um, I spent a lot of time with him, you know, in, in, in his kind of final years. And, um, he taught me to, to dream big and to do something meaningful and, um, he, he believed, you know, I wanted to be a doctor like he did. And um, my father's an attorney, went to a law school a little bit later in life. And I'm an attorney by trade myself, only because uh, my father really didn't give me a choice. It was, uh, you know, he said, look, after you become a lawyer, you can be an exotic dancer for all I care. But you're <laughs> going to be a lawyer first. Um, you know, and I ended up starting my company while in law school. But, you know, I digress. But my grandfather, you know, really believed in in land, believed in um, what America could be and that they're not making more of land. And we look at these big buildings and I was an English major in undergrad and I've always, you know, really seen myself and my own identity as an artist more so than anything. You know, Andy Warhol said that, you know, business is the most fascinating form of art. And, you know, so for me, when we're designing buildings, designing communities, you know, sketching out spaces and, um, picking out new countertops and flooring in our renovation projects. Um, you know, those are the things that really excite me about, you know, understanding, you know, the marriage between that sociological aspect of how millennials and Gen Z kind of think, how they want to live, where they want to live. What does that mean? How can we help build that future um, using technology to, um, you know, really just stay obsessed with our customers and stay obsessed with our kind of our end users and, um, even in, you know, when I was in high school, certainly through college, um, I started to notice little things that I felt like could be done better. And I didn't necessarily know how to do them, but, um, I knew what I wanted to do and I knew why, and I let the how, um, you know, kind of take its course and, you know, finished up, graduated top of my class from A&M, uh, went into law school, but, you know, shoot, you know, I was a, working at Johnny Rockets, you know, flipping burgers yeah. and, you know, as a waiter One in high school favorites. and yeah, Johnny Rockets, an oldie, but a goodie. <laughs> um, my buddies used to come in there. I don't know if you remember, some of your listeners might be, you know, a little bit too young, but at Johnny Rockets, you'd go and put the nickel in the little jukebox and um, whichever waiter had that particular song, you'd have to sing to the ketchup bottle and you know, flip it upside down and do all this stuff. And somehow I had these wonderfully just exuberant friends that would love to just put nickel after nickel after nickel into the jukebox to just <laughs> sing till my voice going. I'm not a very good singer by any stretch of the imagination. My, um, my eight-year-old daughter has the voice of an angel, literally. I mean, she can sing, play the piano. You know, my wife is a you know, is great rhythm, great dancer, and I have two left feet. So it wasn't, wasn't a pretty sight. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then I delivered pizzas cool. through college as well and um, did a little odd jobs. And, um, you know, by then my dad was an attorney and obviously, you know, you know, helped me out um, as well when he could um, kind of through that process and um, got a scholarship to go to law school in San Antonio. And um, between 
college and law school because I graduated in December. I sold cars for about nine months to save up a little money. And in my first year of law school, I partnered with a local developer and said to him, look, I'll, you know, buy the land myself in a, you know, small community north of San Antonio. Um, and he would basically teach me the trade. So I was on the build side at four o'clock in the morning, five o'clock in the morning, every single day. Um, doing everything from the ground up. I mean, whatever it takes to build a house, from tying rebar to sheetrock, mechanical, um, even if I was just kind of shadowing, you know, the other workers. And um, this is around 2005, um, okay. before the subprime market, you know, kind of, you know, eviscerated some things. And then I just rushed to class and thank God for Dean, uh, Dean Cantu, who uh, one day pulled me aside and said, you know, what are you doing coming in, tracking dirt into the classroom every day? What are you doing every morning? And once I told him what I was doing and showed him pictures, he, he you know, was very kind and generous with me and gave me a little bit of leniency to do some kind of uh, self-paced courses and um, some other things to, you know, help me follow my dreams. But, you know, it took That's me borrowing. Cool. Yeah. You know, it took me borrowing a few thousand bucks from my friend's dad when I was in, um, when I was in college, um, using my scholarship money and every dime that I had. And, um, when 2008 hit, it all kind of, kind of came crashing down, so to speak, but my partner being the, um, you know, wonderful gentleman that he is and, you know, very liquid <laughs> was able yeah. to, you know, kind of, uh, you know, keep all the properties and, you know, keep the engine moving. And, you know, I got my money back, paid back my investors and went to Wall Street and, uh, you know, spent, you know, many, many years on Wall Street and uh, decided that um, maybe we can do this a little better or maybe do it a little bit different. And so moved my family. Now I'm the, you know, proud father of three. Um, it's back to Texas where I was born and raised. And um, in the, you know, the simple, ethos of what Rastigar has become was, um, you know, reinvent, you know, how the real estate investment business is done, um, you know, staying obsessed with your customers and your end user and um, hopefully being a part of building uh, what the future of real estate will be uh, married with technology and pop, and pop culture. Gotcha. Yeah, I appreciate that. I always love, love seeing kind of how people started out. And I know our listeners appreciate that. So when when you say you're a technology focused, you know, real estate company, can you explain a little bit of that? Like what is technology focused? Yeah, well, look, you have to understand first, you know, I'm 39 years old. And so I'm the oldest millennial. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I kind of like sit on the cusp between two generations, right? Um, and so my generation that's very technology focused, um, although funny, fun fact about Ari is that Ari personally doesn't own a computer. I run the whole firm off of two iPhones. Um, so I'm still very analog in some regards, but, um, but I worked at a technology firm when I was in Wall Street and have a very, very strong technology background. And so what we've done is, you know, build proprietary technology in a variety of areas and in investor relations um, and how we um, conduct maintenance and quality control in our units, understanding energy usage, using artificial intelligence to make better investment decisions. But it's, um, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a confluence of technologies that we use 
um, throughout the firms and various usages um, for, for, for different purposes. But the future of our firm and the way that we see ourselves is very much a technology company as much as a real estate company, because as, as the firm as Rastigar, you know, expands as a PE firm, it's more analogous to Blackstone than it is that to a real estate purist investment firm, you know, real estate will ultimately become one of the verticals, one of the many, you know, verticals that we invest in. Um, as kind of time goes on, we've already, you know, you know, made, you know, successful investments in product in products, um, you know, all the way to, um, you know, all the way to blockchain, all the way to uh, entertainment media, and we begin to, to seed our investments in a very prudent, conservative manner through our kind of R and D department uh, to uh, to begin building the other facets that'll make up what Rastigar is going to become. You know, Jack Welch would um, you know stay up. They asked him, you know, what would keep him up at night, and he said that. Um, and God rest his soul, he passed away last year. Um, they asked him what kept him up at night. And he said, I'd always just ask myself, what business am I in? What business should I be in? And, you know, and I've, I've been in the real estate business now as a professional for over 12 years um, in some capacity, but I should be in the technology business. And, you know, and, and so we've migrated the firm to investing more into technology um, to just enhance that again, back to that, that customer experience, whether it's our clients our investors our um, our tenants, and how can we use technology to, to make them safer, happier, healthier, more comfortable, um, lower cost, uh, without using, uh, without losing uh, the human element. Got it. And now it sounds like you wear a lot of different hats when you mention these various customers, which could be investors, they could be tenants, etc. How do you juggle all that? Like, when did your company really become a company that was more than just you finding a good property? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And, you know, look, uh, being an entrepreneur and being an investor are completely different things. You know, being a great investor in real estate, um, you can be a phenomenal investor in real estate, find deals. and But if you can't raise capital or you can't, or you don't understand structured finance, or if you're not able to, you know, have a payroll or have leadership and hire great staff. I mean, they're completely different skill sets. So, sure. you know, I never really worked at a big company uh, throughout my life. And so I kind of had to learn how to ride a bike while riding a bike. And, you know, there was a lot of mistakes, you know, that were made along, along the way, um, it, you know, through this journey, but you're right. It's, it, it is, it is a lot to juggle, but the why of what I do is not about me. And it's something that is important enough that, um, it, you know, we have to push through and make it happen as we have. And as you know, we've built an enormous business, um, certainly for, you know, the time quote unquote, that we've been doing it. Um, I guess some of my contemporaries were, you know, significantly, uh, larger than they were at, at their timeline. Although, um, I have such a tremendous respect for them because if it wasn't for the things that they did and my ability to be, you know, being, first of all, being a voracious reader, understanding where maybe some of the missteps were, some of the enhancements are, because at the end of the day, we stand on the shoulders of giants. And, you know, to answer your question a little bit more poignantly, um, I don't want to lose that startup feel, you know, no matter how big our balance sheet gets, no matter how we 
Um, we grow, you know, we want to stay nimble and agile and flexible and innovative and, um, and keep that, you know, that culture um, that, that I've worked so hard to build, you know, I, I wasn't out to build a business. I was out to build a culture and, you know, I'm proud to say the people that, that work in our firm, you know, they're obviously brilliant and are there on the merits um, without question, but they want to be there. You know, they want to be there. They want to be a part of something special and find their own niche. And um, when I walk through our corridors and I look at our, you know, our younger staff that are, you know, doing, you know, moving mountains, I see future CEOs. And my job is, um, as the CEO and founder is to make sure that I'm training them and preparing them to be to be CEOs. You know, Richard Branson talks about training employees so well that they could leave. Um, but if you do your job right, they wouldn't want to leave. And, um, you know, that's been something that I've really learned from. And, um, yeah. yeah, and it's and it's, it's a continued process. There's so many awesome points that I could really dive into that you just mentioned. And I even feel that myself as over the past 12 years, I've watched my financial advising practice grow. And as it gets bigger and bigger, it's like that's that that paradox. It's that struggle of you're getting where you want to be, but how do you keep it just like when you only had three or five clients have that same quality and that same relationship there is not easy. It's definitely no, not it, easy. It, it, so. it's, it's not easy. And um, look, my book comes out and um, we haven't set the official release date, but in September or October at the latest, it's called the gift of failure. And and it's really about more than anything, the, you know, the failures for lack of a better word that, you know, that I've kind of experienced in my life, but through the use of introspection and um, learning to be kind of comfortably uncomfortable looking at those failures and seeing that life was really happening for me all along. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, if you find that that dirt that you get on you as, you know, my grandpa used to say, um, if you pray for the rain, you got to deal with the mud. <laughs> and um, <laughs> that's a good sign. Yeah, he said it in Farsi. I'm translating it, but um, you know, but you know, but it was a, uh, it kind of stuck with me. But that dirt or that mud that you kind of get on you in the process of building these things, and you're down in the trenches or whatever cliche you want to use, what you come to find is that dirt, that mud that gets that gets all over you is actually like fertilizer. You know, it's growing the seeds of what your success is going to be. Um, I saw Steve Harvey, who I have a lot of respect for, you know, as a, as a man, as a father, you know, as an entrepreneur, um, who's endured a lot in his life. And um, he's a very wise man. And, you know, he talks about this um, a little bit as well. But the key is failing forward, as John Maxwell explains, and, you know, and having, you know, that faith that there's going to be something better. And, you know, there's a way to, to not lose that human element when only you have those few clients. And we built a piece of proprietary technology called transparency, which is transparency meets fairness equals transparency, um, which is going to, we believe, completely disrupt investor relations on a global scale um, by showing the renovations, the properties, and the things that we're doing in real time through the use of webcams, uh, multimedia, video pictures, interviewing with key, with key personnel. Um, and so that's, um, you know, that, that's the key. Yep. And we know we, you do have your, your book coming out here, The Gift of Failure. 
it was along those lines was there a failure that you could point to as an entrepreneur that almost pushed you out of the business where you said you know what i i, yeah. I really don't know if i want to keep doing this you mean you mean the soul crushing one that you need a spatula to scrape yourself <laughs> off off the ground we've all been there that's what i want to hear <laughs> i've had many of them and it actually was not in the real estate business um it was actually in the entertainment business which um you know tony robbins you know, talks about how life is happening for you. Um, I didn't know that at the time, but um, one of my mentors, dear friend, who's old, older, oldest son, who is my basically like my adopted brother who works for me now. Um, a lot of my mentors, their kids all work for me now, which is, you know, wildly, um, um, I don't know what the yeah, word it's is. Be cool. Humbling. So, well, it's, it's humbling in a lot of ways, sure. but it's also the, the old school world of, you know, the apprenticeship and passing along the, you know, the, you know, the family kind of um, trade. And uh, it's my honor to be able to do that. But, you know, the, the soul crushing one was, you know, an entertainment company that we did with a couple major real estate kind of tycoons in 2011 when the world was still recovering they launched in 2011 around the super bowl and nba all-star weekend and the book covers it in detail but you know long story short you know murphy's law peaked its head and everything that could go wrong went wrong we had the biggest ice storm that ever hit dallas flights were canceled legionnaires disease broke out at the playboy mansion i mean like everything that could have possibly gone wrong that was quote unquote out of our control did happen, uh, which took something that could have been a, you know, <laughs> eight figure, you know, business uh, turned into nothing basically when it was already there. And um, yeah. And it was wow. one of the, one of the worst kind of times in my life. And, but when I look back on it, um, I cannot tell you how much gratitude and how much, just how much love I have for that experience, even though it still haunts the shit out of me to be perfectly honest, but, but my intellectual authentic self is uh, very, very grateful for, um, for the universe um, yeah. cr crushing me in one modality and pushing me towards my dream, which is, That's um, which is building communities and uh, building the future of real estate. Yeah. Making lemonade out of lemons. I love it. And one of the things about the book too, I wanted to ask is in the first book I wrote, Millennial Millionaire, I talk a lot about networking. Now you've said that networking is overrated. Can you explain kind of what you mean by that? I do. Um, sure. What I mean by that is, is really the, the cheesy networking cocktail parties that you get 40 invitations to every week yeah, um, yeah. where, you know, people are just getting together to get drunk. Um, or whatever. And there's no problem with, you know, any of that people do what they want to do. I have no uh, judgment of anybody's tastes or aversions, but um, I was referring specifically to just these kind of boilerplate networking events where people are just kind of getting together in a room and just kind of talking without any type of system, any type of focus. And that's what I see, you know, mostly, but, you know, we're only good as our relationships, relationships rule the world. That's actually the chapter, a chapter in one of my books. So, um, you know, I believe more in education, finding strategic um, alliances between people you either want to model around, um, you know, my greatest mentors and the greatest networking I ever did was inside of Barnes and Noble and half price books. 
um, and getting to know the authors of, you know, some of the greatest minds in the world. And to me, that networking, uh, so to speak, was um, and is, you know, where I have found reaped the most benefit. So, you know, so I think about networking. Yes. Should you put yourself out there, promote yourself? Because If you don't promote yourself, certainly no one else is going to promote you. You know, so, mm-hmm. you know, you definitely need to, to do that, um, but it needs to be done in a very strategic, methodical way that has integrity um, because you only have so much time. And so if you're, you know, wrapped up in going to every, you know, taco Tuesday, happy hour, you know, cocktail party, whatever that, you know, comes across your, your email, um, you're not going to have time to do the real work. Yeah. Yeah, that's no, I totally understand some of that quality over quantity. And there's only so many hours in the day to work with that. And you also mentioned a a term futuristic suburbanism, which maybe this had something to do with the pandemic or was accelerated by it. No, it doesn't. Okay, so maybe I I got that off. But yeah, no, you didn't. I was just going to say here where I'm at in Jersey, you've seen New York City just seemingly evaporate and all of them come to our suburbs in Jersey anything to do with that? Or, or what are you seeing for suburbs like in the future? Um, futuristic suburbanism is a term that we've used internally uh, and has kind of caught a little bit of fire um, because it's about what we spoke about. I'll give you a simple example. You know, it'll be the future of how people live, work, how they're entertained, where they want to be entertained. Um and the whole confluence and ecosystem around, you know, the, the, you know, the day and the life of an individual, you know, in the future, you know, where, how you work, how your trans, you know, how your transportation is, gets you to work. Do you work from home? You know, where do you play? Where do you take your kids to dinner? Where do your kids go play? Where do they go to school? You know, what do pot in these pocket communities look like? Um, you know, we're building, you know, over 4,000 homes in the Austin MSA right now. And in a few areas, we have 320 acres just south of Austin. We're building a, a massive master plan community. So we're starting to really think about, um, you know, where these folks are going to be, where they're going to shop, where they're going to go and um, using technology, you know, using artificial intelligence to track population migration trends and um, understanding traffic studies and, and just really understanding where the world is going. And, and that is, since COVID, um, people are more concerned about wellness, safety, than they ever been in their lives, including health. And, you know, I'm a huge health advocate. Anybody that knows me knows that. And I believe that there's going to be a a massive, massive boom within suburbanism, within the suburban communities that have a close proximity to the urban core. And so one of our thesis, when you look at our kind of 70 point due diligence uh, protocol that we created proprietarily over the past 12 years Um, you know, one of them that's been added recently, that's almost started out as a joke is the $5 Uber ride. And if you're within a, you know, $5 Uber ride, so to speak of, um, you know, of where all the fun stuff is, that's where people are going to want to be because the mental toll that, you know, people really endured during COVID, even as, you know, the world begins to open up and uh, people start to find a new sense of normality, they're going to want their own space, 
you know, and there's always going to be a huge demographic uh, that's going to want to be in the urban core and walkable areas where they can walk to the grocery store and live in high rises. And I don't believe that's going to change, but I think that there's a, a very large community, certainly, you know, the demographic over the age of 50 um, that want their own space that might've want, thought about being in a condo. And now they want to just kind of be, um, have a little bit of a, uh, social distance for lack of a better word you know whether that's a 10 minute drive to downtown or or not and that's why you know you're seeing some of those suburbs within jersey uh really start to expand dramatically and it's, i don't think it's going to slow because you can just jump on a train and be in manhattan if you want to be in manhattan right i mean it takes you 30 minutes 40 minutes depending on where you are or whatever it is and and that that is going to be a resurgence of what was once the American dream, so to speak, of owning your own home. And, um, you know, that was the, the foundational point that everybody aspired to in the certainly in the 50s, 60s, 70s um, and through, you know, through the mid 80s and up. And it kind of went through a declination and went down and we're seeing a resurgence. You know, Mark Twain said that history doesn't repeat itself, but it sure does rhyme. And, and, we're, <laughs> exactly. wa- and we're, wa- we're watching that happen. And COVID was a massive accelerant to a trend that was already starting to kind of populate, same as the kind of systemic migration out of, you know, the East and West Coast into the Sun Belt. And yeah. so, you know, we're watching a generational population shift. We're watching a generational shift of power from the baby boomers to Gen Z into the millennials and the largest transfer of wealth in the history of mankind. Um, to those younger generations. So um, by keeping our eye on what those core values are, which are starkly different than the older generation, uh, we'll start yeah. to see what futuristic suburbanism really will be. That's really cool. Yeah, staying ahead of the curve there. And and I want to get to a, a point about that migration in just a second, but I will say that is comforting in a sense to hear what you said about uh, urban areas still being a core, because I know there is a bit of a narrative over where we're at of how does New York City come back from this as people are saying, hey, working remote is going fine for us. And it's like, well, does that spell that those gigantic office buildings might stay empty? You know, there's there's some kind of scary thoughts around that of does everybody just return to normal or is this a new normal here of the remote working environment? So so you do think that a lot of folks will be back in the cities as we know it or knew it? People are absolutely going to go back um, are going to be going back into the urban core. I mean, there's no, there's no question about that. And so, and there will always be a demographic that wants that and, um, and, and craves that needs it. And, uh, but I think it's just going to take a little bit of time for people to feel a little bit more comfortable. And we're seeing, you know, uh, this polarizing difference between those that want to wear masks and not wear masks and, you know, right. So it kind of just runs that gambit in some regard. Um, but um, I'm very, very confident that when we look back on this on the 10 year trend, so to speak, uh, we'll see the urban, um, you know, the urban areas really still get back to kind of peak occupancy. But with that said, with that systemic migration out of the East and West Coast, uh, you're going to also see a, a large development of within the suburban areas that were typically more just kind of open land that weren't meant for houses um, grow as well and begin to see a, um, a, a continued decline 
um, in those east and west coast areas because, you know, Texas certainly is benefiting from it as much as anywhere. Florida is as well, whether it's, yeah. you know, no state income taxes, fair climate weather and, you know, a confluence of other events. But um, that by itself is going to have a big effect. Yeah. And, and you may have answered a bit of my next question, which was, you say that Texas is the future epicenter of the U.S. We now know that, that the whole world can fit in Texas and that it Austin is. could be the business capital. So why do you say it, that? Well, it's, it's you know, I mean, look, you, you just follow the numbers. Um, you know, if Texas was a country, it would be the seventh largest country in the world. It just surpassed Brazil on a GDP basis. It's fully diversified economy. Um and has the sustainability to truly be a country and not to mention it's centered basically dead center of the United States. So from a travel standpoint, you can be in New York, San Francisco, New York, Florida, Miami, wherever you want to be um, in a very, very short time period. And, and that by itself is, um, is highly, highly attractive. You know, the median prices of houses, um, in California is, you know, almost $700,000 and Texas is in the low 200s. So the ability and the cost of living, the cost of gasoline um, and overall just standard of living is much higher in Texas than it is, which will allow the new inhabitants to have a pretty long runway of seeing growth, seeing equity grow in their homes, um, being able to work whether remotely or, you know, working at their you know, at their, at their current positions, because you're seeing companies like Oracle move their headquarters to Austin, um, you know, Tesla, you know, Tesla obviously, you know, is building, you know, just bought their second piece of land in Austin, but building the largest gigafactory in the world. Uh, we actually own a piece of land, you know, right next to them that we're developing as well. You know, so people are, are seeing that and they're seeing that, you know, the pricing is completely unsustainable, um, in those, um, in those other areas. And, you know, we've known that for years and we've watched this, you know, this migration happen and COVID just threw jet fuel on it. Definitely. It definitely did. And even one of my fellow podcasters, of course, Joe Rogan is not shy about sharing, you know, some of that. Now he, that he point, lives in Austin now too. He loves it. Yeah, I know. And he talks a lot about it and, and doesn't seem to be a fan anymore of California. And you got to imagine that a state like California losing so many, you know, icons of business to Texas in particular has got to annoy them. So what does a state like California do to, to attract or retain the value that they do have rather than just kick them out of their state? I think that's a question for somebody much smarter than me, my friend. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Because you even see it here. I mean, I've had clients in New York City area that are actually moving both residentially and in their business to Puerto Rico for the tax climate. And yeah. uh, it seems like there's a bit of this kind of race to who can have a more tax friendly environment. Yeah, because uh, Puerto, so Puerto Rico is highly attractive for a lot of those reasons. And, you know, but at the end of the day, you know, paying taxes you know, is how we sustain our country, you know, and so there's a fine line between, you know, egregious taxation versus, you know, taxation with representation, you know, yeah. so, you know, so there's a fine line there to, to be discussed again by, you know, people that are, again, smarter than me and have more insight than I do, but, um, you know, paying taxes, people forget build roads, <laughs> you yeah, know, and, you know, it, yeah, yeah, and funds, 
you know, the, the police to protect us and, you know, public hospitals. And I mean, there's so much good that comes from that. And I think people can be a little bit narrow-minded in looking at, you know, what they're having to pay and forgetting about all the luxuries that we have in what I believe to be the greatest country in the world. Are we perfect? No, but um, I don't see anybody else that um, has it as close to right as we do. Yeah, I like it. I couldn't agree more. And just to kind of get near the conclusion here, I know you talk a lot about your uh, your personal wellness as a piece of your overall success. Can you share a little of kind of what a normal day is like and, and how you do maintain that fitness or well-being? Uh, normal is not a word I use very often. Um, okay. um, um, <laughs> I, I think I try my best to be uh, uh, abnormal at, at best. Um, but, um, but no, it's look, it comes down to the core pillars, move your body vigorously, um, get your heart rate up, you know, eat, you know, less or no sugar, eliminate processed foods, eat more vegetables, um, do something for your mental health. Um, you know, I'm actually at a transcendental meditation retreat right now in Fairfield, Iowa. Um, and if you're doing something for your mental health, whether that's, you know, affirmations, whether that's reading a great book, um, making a vision board, you know, whatever modality that you choose to do um, and eating um, real foods uh, and moving your body vigorously between those three things, which, you know, pretty much everybody um, or a vast majority of the people, certainly in the first world countries have access to those things. Thank God. Um, you're going to be getting, you know, talk about the 80, 20 rule. You're going to be reaping at least 80% of the benefits. And, um, just like in any fundamental truth, you know, fundamentals is what wins championships. And those are the fundamentals. And without those, the rest is just kind of window dressing. Got it. Got it. I like it. And if we could finish up here with a, a lightning round, which is one of the favorite segments for, uh, for all of my listeners, in which we just ask you a few questions to get to know who you are, and you just sure. give us the first thing that comes to mind. So if we can dive right into that, what would you say is your favorite book? My favorite book, you're talking to a guy that loves books. Wow, that's almost an impossible question, but... Um... I would probably say for the purposes of this discussion from an entrepreneur standpoint, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Great book. What a classic. And if you had a quote to live by, what would you say your favorite quote is? Everything you can imagine is real. Pablo Picasso. Perfect. And a favorite movie? Favorite movie. That's a really, really good one. Um, I... I love, love, love movies. Um, you know what I watched recently that really reminded me um, of what it means to be human and really struck me in a great way was Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump, another classic. Okay. And the last of the favorites, you travel a lot, you know, for your business, obviously. What is your, your favorite vacation or your favorite destination that you've been to? Well, I really don't do vacations and everybody that knows me knows that. Um, okay. um, but, um, but I love Tulum, you know, Tulum, um, which is, you know, just um, close to Cancun um, in the South of Mexico is a 
beautiful, beautiful spot. And being here in Texas, it's a pretty short flight and um, really special place, a lot of ancient history and um, they have little pyramids and it's just a really sacred, beautiful, beautiful landscape. And uh, my kids love it, you know, going down to Cancun and going down to Tulum and, you know, seeing their joy has been really great. And it's pretty convenient to just jump down there and jump back without having to travel uh, all the way around the world. But I've spent my life working and I hope in uh, the later years of my life, I'll be able to see more of the world. But for now, I got my head down and, um, you know, building my dream. I hear you. And along those lines, I know you said no day is really normal for you. How much do you typically sleep at night? I've come to learn the value of sleep later on in life, but I certainly have that gene that every doctor has during residency where they don't sleep for days at a time when they're focused on a project. Um, it depends. I mean, it really, really depends. I mean, if I'm in the middle of a project, I'll stay up all night in the office working and you know, there'll be some days when I'm drained and I'll get in bed at 7, 7 p.m. and, you know, wake up at 7 a.m. the next day and sleep 12 hours. Right. You have to pay back that sleep debt. Um, but I try to get I try to get a solid six to seven hours a night, you know, because I find after that, you know, anything less than that really plummets productivity. Got it. Got it. And a couple here, it doesn't need to be monetary, but we'll finish with. Can you point to anything you would say was your best investment that you made? Yeah, my health. Your health. Okay. Yes. Great. Focusing, on, focusing on my health with the same tenacity, focus um, as I have with my business and treated myself as the business. And there was no question that is the, the best investment I've ever made. Awesome. Yep. Your body is your temple. And conversely, what would be the worst investment? The worst investment. You know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a tough question because, you know, in our failures or worst investments or whatever the things we find to be worse, there's something to be learned. Right. I mean, so I, I don't, I don't just see the world through that, through those eyes when, when things are going wrong, you know, to the public eye, or even to my own, you know, my own thought process in the moment, I find that as time goes by those things that were seemingly blunders were actually blessings in disguise. So um, I just, I just don't really ascribe to that line of questioning. Okay. I like it. That's fair. And so, I mean, this has been a great conversation. I know you're a busy guy. Anything that you'd like to leave off with or that you want to make sure our listeners know about you? Um, no, I mean, I mean, if they, they, I'm pretty easy to find. They can Google my name or Google Rastigar property or just Google Ari Rastigar and they can find us um, online or on Instagram at Rastigar or on our website. And um, yeah, if there's any questions they have or any thoughts they have, they can feel free to reach out. And um, if I can help, I will. Awesome. And then the final bonus here, everybody knows Austin is on the map. You, you are at the epicenter right now. What would you say, in your humble opinion, is the next Austin? That is a great question. I'll tell you, I love Raleigh, North Carolina. Raleigh, North Carolina. Okay. Okay, good. Love well, Raleigh. And I love me some Nashville. Nashville and Raleigh, to me, are the two cities that I love uh, most, you know, kind of second and third, not necessarily in that order to, to Austin. 
Okay. Yeah, Nashville definitely booming as well. But Raleigh, that's that's a good one to keep in mind. I haven't heard that. Raleigh's so, uh, Raleigh's a spectacular city, and I assure you, you'll be reading more about it as the years to come. Perfect. Perfect. Well, Ari, thank you. You've been an awesome guest. I really appreciate the time today. Thanks so much. Talk to you bit. Bye-bye. All right. Well, thank you everyone for tuning in to another episode of the Kaderna podcast. We've just listened to Ari Rastegar, a great interview here. Please keep tuning in and we will see you next week. This podcast is intended for the general public and for informational purposes only. The show does not provide any recommendations or investment advice regarding any specific account type, service, strategy, or product, or to otherwise act in any fiduciary or other capacity. Please contact a financial professional for guidance and information that is specific to your situation. Brian Kaderna does not provide tax or legal advice. Please contact your accountant or legal advisor to discuss your situation. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities, Guardian, or Kaderna Financial Team, and opinions stated are their own. All investments contain risk and may lose value. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. References to specific securities, asset classes, and financial markets are for illustrative purposes only and do not constitute a solicitation, offer, or recommendation to purchase or sell a security. Brian Kaderna is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS, OSJ, 300 Broadacres Drive, Suite 175, Bloomfield, New Jersey, 07003, phone number 973-244-4420. Securities products and advisory services offered through PAS, member FINRA, SIPC. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Kaderna Financial Team is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. California Insurance License Number 0K04194. Approval number 2021123760, expiration 7-2023.